You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, on July 12, 1976, uh, a brand new game show aired for the very first time. And the strategy behind that game show was very simple. Um, Two families come together in friendly competition for cash and prizes, naming popular responses to uh, survey questions that have been asked. Do you know what game show I'm talking about? Family Feud. Feud. Yeah, it still continues to today. Um, Again, the strategy, very simple. Two families face off in friendly competition for cash and prizes. It's just that that simple. You know, the great thing about Family Feud is that really there's much more fun and laughter than there was feuding. Would you agree? Wouldn't it be wonderful, incredibly wonderful, if when you heard about real-life family feuds or when you heard about quarrels, when you heard about arguments that are going on in relationships, that we were able to think more in terms of what happens on family feud, friendly competition, fun and laughter, as opposed to the reality of what happens in real life? Yeah, but we know that typically um, that's not what happens. We hear many, many different stories. I did a little research this week, and I found history's top 10 Feuds, top 10 feuds of all times. I'm not going to go over all 10, but I do want to talk about three of them. Did you know that uh, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr uh, had a feud going on between them? If you've seen the play, Hamilton, you know all about it, right? Um, These two men, uh, there was tension between them because of their political differences. And their their feud climaxed when... um, Uh, Burr, who was offended by Hamilton, challenged him to a duel. The day came of the duel, shots were fired, and um, Alexander Hamilton's shot went just over Aaron Burr's head and hit a tree. However, Burr's shot hit Hamilton in the stomach, and the next day he died. And it causes me just to ask the question, why can't people just get along? Is, Is it really necessary? Um, In the 1920s, uh, two powerful men became Chicago's mob bosses. Those men were Al Capone and Bugs Moran. Um, Their feud was brutal and and bloody. Uh, they, um, They ran liquor, they operated casinos, and they opened brothels. They weren't afraid of the police so much, but they were afraid of each other. Their feud climaxed in what's called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre when seven of Bugs Moran's men were lined up and shot hundreds of times by Al Capone's men with Tommy guns. And I'll ask the question again. Why can't people just get along? Why is it so hard? Why can't people just get along? Uh, Maybe the, the most legendary feud of all times is the feud that took place between the Hatfields and the McCoys. Uh, the tension started, uh, that, that feud went on for many years, and the tension started uh, uh, because the Hatfields were pro-Confederate and the McCoys were members of the Union. Um, the feud was fueled over the dispute of a dead pig, which resulted in the death of one of the Hatfields. And then that feud climaxed in what's known as the New Year's Day Massacre, when the Hatfields attacked one of the McCoy family cabins. And again, it was a brutal battle. There was much, um, there was much bloodshed. And I'll ask the question again, why can't people 
Why can't people just get along? Is this all really necessary? And I realize that these are very extreme cases and they're not typically what we hear of when we think of family feuds and fights and quarrels that can happen in a wide range of uh, relationships that we can experience. Uh, But we have to face the fact that the reality is relationships of all kinds come with tensions and conflicts and challenges. Am I right? Yeah, we've all experienced it, right? We've all been in some kind of relationship where there was a challenge, there was a conflict, there was a tension. So on one hand, we face this reality that uh, relationships come with challenges. But on the other hand, particularly as believers, we're faced with what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. And this is what he wrote. He says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let me say that again. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a tough passage of scripture. When we think about the reality of the challenges that can come along with relationships, we think about, and, and, and the Bible says that we're supposed to do everything we can to live at peace with everybody. What about when it's not my fault? What, it's, when, what about when it's out of my control? And that's why it says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. Relationships are one of God's greatest gifts to us. However, because of our own humanity, relationships can cause life to be filled with great challenges. But as Christ followers, those who have relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are called to be intentional in our relationships and to work at getting along with everybody. You've heard me ask the question several times this morning. I'm going to ask it again. Why can't people just get along? I think it's a great question to ask. Um, I think that we could have some incredibly great discussion this morning. Um, I could spend time telling you my thoughts and my opinions uh, and giving an answer to that question. You could spend your time giving me your thoughts and your opinions and answer to that question. We could literally spend hours doing that. But we're not going to do that. Instead of looking at thoughts and opinions, which may or may not be right, we're going to go straight to the Word because that's our guide for life. That's where we're going to find the best way to function and navigate in relationships in a healthy spiritual way. I'm going to read to you just a moment. I'm not going to have you turn there because of the translation I want to read to it. But I want to read to you a passage in just a moment from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Uh, I want to read it to you uh, from uh, a a translation called J.B. Phillips' translation. And I want to do that because I I just like the way that Phillips translates this verse. But uh, James, as he writes in in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I believe he, in fact, I know he answers the question. Here's what James writes. But about the feuds and struggles that exist among you, where do you suppose they come from? Can't you see that they arise from conflicting passions within yourselves? You crave for something and you don't get it. You are jealous and envious of what others have got and you don't possess it yourselves. Consequently, in your exasperated frustration, you struggle and fight with one another. You don't get what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you do, he doesn't give it to you for you ask in quite the wrong spirit. 
You only want to satisfy your own desires. Ouch. I have that written in my notes. Ouch. What's the message that Paul is, uh, that James is trying to convey in these three verses? I love how he starts with a question. Hey, about those quarrels and those fights, those feuds that are going on among you, where do you think they come from? And I think for most of us, when we're asked that question, our response would typically be to point the finger at someone else. To say, well, it's because they said this, or they did this, or he didn't do this like I thought he should have. It's about uh, unexpected, uh, uh, unspoken expectations. We like to place the blame on someone else rather than taking responsibility ourselves. But James doesn't go there. James says... You know where they come from? They come from within inside. They come from the conflicting passions within yourself. They come from your own selfishness. Again, ouch. Because if we really think about it, we know that there's a lot of truth. Maybe full truth to that. Um, this morning and next Sunday, we're going to spend our time looking at Philippians chapter 2. And as we do, we're going to talk about the life that God applauds. And what we're going to see as we look at Philippians chapter 2, particularly this morning, that as Paul writes to the believers at the Philippian church, um, he's doing much the same as James was doing. He's directing them to look inward. In other words, if you want to navigate healthy, in, in a healthy manner, in a healthy spiritual manner, through the challenges of relationships, you've, you've got to look in. And so what's going to happen this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 2, we're going to draw some principles or some lessons for navigating through relationships in a healthy biblical way. In other words, what Paul is helping us to do, he's pointing us back to Romans 12, 18 that says, if it is possible... As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So, like I said, we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 2. But before we go there, um, I want to spend just a brief moment giving you a summary of what's happened in Philippians chapter 1 because it's all connected. Um, And I'll just take just a moment to do this. If this morning we were going to read together through Philippians chapter 1, what we would uh, find is that uh, as Paul writes... Um, he, uh, he, he greets the audience that he's writing to. So he's writing to the, to the Philippians believer, Philippian believers. And so he greets them. And then he follows the, this by commending them for their partnership in the gospel. And then he assures them, God has started a good work in you and he is going to finish it. And then he reminds them that you are recipients of God's grace. And Paul's writing this letter from prison. So he says, it's okay that I'm writing this letter from prison. It's really okay because it's all for the sake of the gospel. God is going to be glorified in this. Don't worry about my chains. It's it's all okay. And then we come to verse 27. And if you haven't already, could you open your Bibles to Philippians uh, chapter 2, but I want to read to you a verse in chapter 1. So take a moment, turn to Philippians chapter 2. While you're doing that, I'm going to, I'm going to read to you a verse in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, because it, it's a setup. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, 
striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I love how Paul writes. He says, whatever you do, whatever happens and whatever you do, let your behavior be after the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, your behavior, the way you live out your life should come in alignment with the truth of the gospel. That's how you live the life. He goes on and he talks about the importance of living out in one spirit and living out in unity. And if we were to read on in verse 28, uh, what we would find, the reason he's, he's commending them to this is because he says, uh, the days ahead of you for as believers is going to be very challenging. And you need unity. If you're going to walk through this successfully, you've got to be united. You've got to be one in spirit. This would be a good place to talk about. What does it mean to walk in unity? It doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean... So, so listen to this. It is possible to walk in unity and not necessarily agree with everything about the person beside you. We can walk in unity, have disagreements, and still walk those out in love. Wouldn't that be a great lesson for our culture to learn today? That's a whole nother message that I will never preach probably. But you know what I'm talking about. We can, we can live in unity and it doesn't mean uniformity. And Paul is saying to the Philippian believers, and I believe it's true of us today because I believe the days ahead of us for, as believers is getting harder and harder and harder. And persecution will continue to come. And so with that, we need to be able to walk out our life in Christ in alignment with the gospel, in unity of the Spirit. And verse 27 really becomes a setup for what Paul is going to talk about in chapter 2. And that's walking in unity. Walking out your relationships in a healthy, spiritual, biblical way. In other words... The life that God's, God applauds is when we live in unity. Um, uh, what I want to do this morning, I want to walk us through these verses. Rather, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of chapter 2. Rather than me reading those all in one uh, reading, I'm going to read a couple of verses and I'm going to talk about them. And I'm going to read a little bit more and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to read a little bit more and I'm going to talk about it. I think that's how we can begin to apply it best. But... I also want you to do something that I think the personal application will become more tangible for you. I want you to think this morning about your full scope, your full realm of your circle of relationships. Just for a moment, think about the people that you come in contact with, that you uh, do life with, whether it's at home, in the workplace, at school, wherever it might be. People in your neighborhood. Just think about that. And then after you've identified that group of people, I want you to identify the person in that circle of relationships that you find the relationship to be the most challenging, filled with the most conflict, tensions. Don't say it out loud, okay? <laughs> Certainly if nobody in this room. Who's the person you say, we just can't seem to get along. It just doesn't work. It's constant conflict. It's constant... It's constant tension. There's, there's bickering. There's arguing. It just doesn't work. And, and here's the reason I want you to identify that person. Not so you can hate on them more. But instead, would you be open to keeping that person at the forefront of your thoughts as we walk through the rest of this message? 
and that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you to bring clarity about how you should begin to navigate through that relationship from this point on. What is it? So the scripture says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, what might the Holy Spirit say? Now, this part depends on you. And so I want you to be willing to do these things as much as it depends on you, if it is possible. And here's the deal. Not every relationship always works out. But here's what Paul is saying. This is what the word says. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you. So what is the responsibility that you would take? Uh, how will you navigate through this relationship in a different way? So with that, let me begin to read to you um, the verses at hand. Um, I'm going to read to you two verses. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So what's the message that Paul is conveying in those short two verses? Well, Paul is saying, if indeed it is true, and it's really not a question, it is truth. If indeed... Uh, if you've come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and if you've, re if you've recognized that having a relationship with Jesus Christ has affected your life, it, it, it's changed your life. And if you have come to know and understand that not only is Christ in you, but you are in Christ. In other words, when we've come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I talk about this a lot. I think it's really important. But the Bible says that we're new creations in Christ. That we start over. That the old is gone and the new has come. We have a new identity. So when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and someone says, who are you? You say, I'm in Christ. That's your identity. So if we've come to know and understand that. And if we've come to know and understand and experience the power of what it means to be in Christ, to be a new creation, to be being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And if we come to know and understand and experience the difference that the love of God through Jesus Christ has made in our lives. And if we come to know and understand and experience that how Jesus and the relationship with him has affected our relationship with God in that before Jesus, the Bible says that we were alienated from God. We were estranged from God. We were separated because of our sin. But because of Jesus, we've been brought near to God. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer alienated, but we've been reconciled to God. Paul's saying, if you have come to know and understand and experience all of these things, which should be true of us as believers, then our relationship with Jesus should affect our relationship with other people. If all of those things are true, and they are, then our relationship with Jesus should affect our relationship with other people. In other words, God's love for us through Jesus should serve as our guide for loving other people. As Christ followers, our goal should be to love others in the same way that we've been loved. How were we loved? God loved us with a sacrificial love. 
He sacrificed his only son, Jesus, so that we could have forgiveness and so that we could have life. He gave his son, Jesus. Because of that, God's forgiveness to us should serve as our guide in forgiving others. His forgiveness should spill over into all of our relationships and cause us to be willing to forgive others. I've shared this story a couple of times in both services this morning, and I'm going to share it with you. It's a confession. It's a vulnerability. Um, I can think back to a relationship some years ago, several years ago, in which there was great um, betrayal and great hurt and great pain. And I remember um, telling my wife, if I saw him dying on the side of the road, I would not stop in and help him. And I meant it. I, he, he, he's, if you only knew what he had done to me. And Cammie just said, Stan, you can't be serious. And I go, right now, I'm serious. That's how I feel. Well, my heart wasn't in the right place. I wasn't conducting myself. My behavior wasn't flowing out of an alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as I take time over time to recognize what it means to have Jesus Christ in my life and, and how he's forgiven me, that I was dying, that I was dead in my sin and I didn't deserve life. I didn't deserve forgiveness, but God in his grace through Jesus Christ forgave me. Then what I recognized, as much as the betrayal was, as much as the hurt was, no matter how great it was, that there is an indebtedness in me because of what God has done through Jesus Christ that I would extend the same forgiveness to this person. And I have to say, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. Am I right? It takes time. It's a process. But the important thing is that we're working through the process. So let me read a little bit more. Let me just read you a portion of verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So what's the message that Paul is conveying in that portion of the verse? He's saying, don't let your behavior toward others flow out of your selfishness. Uh, when we looked at the passage in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we saw a picture of selfish ambition. And James, James says that selfish ambition is because of the conflicting passions that you have on the inside of yourself. Listen to this. The root of selfish ambition is excessive self-love that disregards the rights and feelings of others. By nature, we are selfish people who far too often expect more from a relationship than we're willing to give to the relationship. That's just kind of who we are naturally. Um, after the first service, I had a great conversation with one gentleman. And he said, now, is selfish ambition always bad? He said, I'd love to have this discussion. And so we had that discussion very briefly. He said, is ambition, he said if I am ambitious to get a, job, a promotion at my job, is that bad? And so we talked and I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't think that. I think God places ambition, positive ambition in our heart that we would want to better ourselves. So no, it's not selfish ambition that you want to get a promotion at work. But what would be selfish is if you sabotage your coworker to make sure they don't get it so you can. 
that's selfish ambition. He's a runner. He said, I was running a race yesterday. And uh, he said, there was a gentleman ahead of me in my age category. And, and, and he was going to win. And my ambition was, I just got to beat him. I got to beat him. And he said, he crossed the finish line before, before I did. He said, is it selfish ambition because I wanted to beat him? I go, it's not selfish ambition because you wanted to beat him. But if you tripped him so that he couldn't win, it would be. That's selfish ambition. Don't let selfish ambition guide, direct our motives towards others. Selfish ambition should not direct our motives and our behaviors towards others. That's the principle. Um, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the message that Paul is getting across. Then when we look at the latter portion of verse 3 and verse 4, and I'm going to read all of 3 and 4, we see Paul's solution to selfish ambition. It says, so do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. So what we see is a contrast between selfish ambition and humility. And Paul's solution for selfish ambition is humility. It's important for us to understand that Paul wrote this in the, in the culture of ancient Rome. And at that time, in that culture... Um, weakness or humility was seen in a negative sense. It was seen as a weakness. And so as Paul directs the Philippian believers uh, towards humility, he's actually working against the culture. He's going counterculture. And, and I would say that today, in our culture, not much has changed. Humility is seen in a negative sense. Humility is seen as a weakness. So Paul is directing us as believers that we are to go against the culture and we're to live out our lives in humility. So how should we understand humility? Well, humility could be explained this way. Putting God first, then others, and then ourselves. Now, humility is not this. Humility is not us putting ourselves down. It doesn't mean that we have to become doormats, but instead humility is about us focusing on lifting other people up. That's where the focus would be, that we would continually lift other people up. Based on what Paul's writing, um, humility should define our opinion of ourselves and our attitude toward others. Humility should define our opinion of ourselves and our attitude towards others. So I would say to this point, Paul's presented us some with really good lessons in how to navigate through relationships. But here's what's missing. We need a model. And that's what Paul does in the last verses. He, he, he gives us a great model. So let me read verses 5 through 11. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who's the example that he gave? Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So 
If we're going to get along with each other, if we're going to navigate through relationships in a spiritually healthy way, then we look to Jesus. And so what does Paul do? He paints a picture uh, of, uh, of Jesus. He says, Jesus was selfless in his thinking about relationships and not selfish. He made himself nothing. Jesus was a servant in his thinking. He took on the very nature of a servant. Jesus was sacrificial in his thinking. He became obedient even unto death. And so when we think about our relationships, particularly our challenging relationships, we have to ask the question, do I have the same mindset of Christ? Am I thinking about my relationships in the same way he does? Am I following the model? Is my conduct in relationships, does it line up with the truth of the gospel? And I think if we're honest, we can all identify particular points of particular relationships where we need to make changes. And so today, I would say this. This is our challenge, our encouragement. As you've been thinking throughout this message about that one relationship that causes you the most challenge, the most tension, where there's conflict, maybe there's a feud. What would the Holy Spirit be speaking to you about as a first step, as much as it depends on you? Is there some clarity of what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you? And it could be as simple as the Holy Spirit would say, I just want you to begin to pray for that person every day. And sometimes praying for someone who's, who's messed with you is not very easy. Unless you pray the prayer, kind of prayers that David prayed in the Psalms. Kill them, slay them. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think that's the kind of prayers you can talk about today. But maybe it's just to pray. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit would just say, just, just a kind act. Just some, some token of kindness. As much as it's possible within us, that, that we would do everything within us. And here's the deal. You might begin to pray for someone and you, uh, you begin to see almost an immediate change because you see God at work. And you might begin to pray for someone and you don't see any change. That's not your fault. You're still doing what you're supposed to do in that relationship. But the other person has to cooperate if it is possible as much as it depends on you. you. You can only do your part, the spiritual part, but you can't force the other person into healthy relationship. But would you be willing to take steps towards health in a relationship? Trusting God, trusting the Holy Spirit see this in your notes, the number one indicator of our relationship with God is revealed in how we respond to other people. What does the Bible say? You'll, they will know you are his disciples by the way you love. And so this morning, that's our challenge. What would the Holy Spirit speak to us? And what is it we're to do in those challenging relationships? Would you stand? I want to pray for us. God, this morning, we confess that uh, Relationships are your greatest gift to us, one of your greatest gifts. The fact that we can have a relationship with you is our greatest gift. But we also confess this morning that in the natural realm, that relationships can also present us with some of the greatest challenges of life. 
As we confess that this morning, we also confess that in ourselves, um, we're powerless. But we also confess that through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you can do a work of transformation. And so we just present those challenging relationships to you right now. And we ask that you help us. Clarify the next step. We surrender ourselves to you. We present ourselves to you right now. In Jesus' name, we are open to your work. And everybody said, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.